electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Shall we? Yeah, let's get it going here. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Tuesday, December 24th, 2019. And today, like every day on the podcast, we will bring you the best and a little more of Squawk Box. But first, I'm going to let the voice of CNBC's promotion, Jim Birdsall, take over for an annual Christmas Eve tradition. Bring in holiday music. It's the day before Christmas. Joe and Becky are gone, but Andrew and Sully are here to push on. And they're not alone, not by any degree. We brought in Tom Farley and our friend MCC. It's been a bad year for Boeing, the stock price in question. Will the new CEO cause a volatile session? The tickers are moving, and we'll summarize just how the markets keep hitting new highs. Kick back and relax. The year's almost done. Squawk Box begins in three, two, one. Stand, Andrew, by. Roll, pray, track, take. Good morning and welcome to a special edition, a, a Christmas Eve edition of Squawk Box uh, live right here from the Nasdaq market side uh, in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. Along with Brian Sullivan, we've got Joe and Becky are off today. We've got MCC back in the house. Exactly. Merry Christmas. Happy Merry to be Christmas. Here. And Tom Farley here of Farport Ventures wearing the best blazer of the season. Merry Christmas, all. Yes. Merry Christmas to Thank everyone. You. Everyone's got the look. And you got the sweater on, dude. I'm, I've got the sweater. I knew it. It's a Christmas Eve tradition, right? I, I, you know, and I try to amortize this shirt that I bought years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's one Once day a year. a year. One day a year I get to use it. it I, well, I actually go year off, year on. With I have a tie that I sometimes do. Sometimes I do the tie after New Year's. It's a tar- it, tartan? Tartan? Yeah, What's the... Pronunciation? Do we go with tartan? Tartan? Yeah, that's, 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 yeah. He's got the tartan on the as well. But each yeah. tartan means something, right? There's a yeah, family or a clan. There's, there's or a family or a clan that goes along with it. I don't know. I'll about make my, up a story by the end of the show. By the end of the three hours, I'll have I don't a good know story about my. Clan. Give him a couple scotches. He'll yeah. be the McFarleys by the end I of the show. Say you're an Irishman, not a Scot, right? No, yeah, I'm, I'm across the <laughs> across the bay. We should uh, tell you about uh, shares of Boeing right now. They closed nearly three percent higher yesterday after Boeing's board fired CEO Dennis Mullenberg, Chairman David. Calhoun will become the company's CEO in January. I want to show you a little bit of video. I spoke to Dennis Mullenberg back at that deal book conference I did in November, his last public interview as CEO, and I asked him at that time whether he'd consider resigning. This is what he had to say. Has there ever been a day where you're sitting around going, you know what, this is not working, it's not working, i got to get out of here. It's better for the company for me to leave. Andrew, I think it's fair to say I've thought about it, but... To be frank, um, that's not what's in my character. I, I don't see um, running away from a challenge, resigning, as, as the right solution. I have to say, at the time that he said that, I admired the answer. I really did. Um, does everybody here think, I'm actually curious, is the David Calhoun appointment a game changer? Stock went up 3%, but you look at some of the commentary this morning. I'm looking at uh, Richard Blumen, uh, Blumenthal, the Democrat of, uh, of Connecticut, so many others who say, you know what, David Calhoun effectively part of the problem. 
because he was there. He came on our air, if you remember, uh, about a month ago, endorsed Dennis Mullenberg, endorsed the timeline in terms of when the Max was going to come online again. He's been there uh, for, for most of this, this period. Is he, is, is he enough of a change? I think so. You and I had this debate yep. yesterday off, off air. I, I, he's of the system, but he was not the chairman of the company. This is a very complicated business, by and large, a great company. And yep. if you bring somebody entirely new in from the outside, that has all sorts of other challenges. Dave Calhoun has, a, has had a long exemplary career. And I think Larry Kellner also, as chairman, mm-hmm. was a great pick. Uh, uh, chairman of Sabre and has right. had a long career in, in, in uh Aviation. It's going to really depend on his tonality. I mean, the reason you bring in somebody new is to send a new message. And as he's been doing, I'm sure he's been on the phone for the last 48 hours talking about what's going to be different now with regulators, with Blumenthal, etc. All of these things. What does he say and how does he change how the company has acted thus far that would go a long way? So I I know David a little bit personally. He serves on the board of my college, Virginia Tech. So I've gotten to know him just sort of as a human being a little bit. And the one David is the anti-Dennis. I think that Dennis was that sort of stiff, sort of super formal. David walks around. You can't get him to wear a suit. He wears jeans. Right. He's a casual guy. He's friendly. Hates wearing ties. He just wants to. He's a communicator. He was the CEO of Nielsen. He was running GE jet engines. So he's kind of a salesman type. I think Andrew. It comes down to everything about how well do you communicate? Because obviously Mullenberg, as you did in that great interview, Mullenberg ticked off. I almost said right. something else. Yep. The FAA. Yep. FAA's like you don't tell us what to do. We tell right. you what to ticked do. Ticked off the FAA. Ticked off regulators. The NTSB. Also, I think, ultimately had lost the trust of his clients, meaning the big airline CEOs. If you spoke with the big airline CEOs over the past couple of weeks, the frustration level, the fact that Gary Kelly was on the record in the New York Times saying... And on CNBC. And on CNBC, too. But I was just saying just that last article over the weekend, which I thought the comments were scathing. That, to me, is where you say to yourself, okay, how do you you repair that relationship? And even if you're the best guy in the world... I mean, even, even if you're the greatest, nicest guy, and I think that, that, that Dennis is an upstanding guy, and I want to, I'm not here to disparage Dennis, but I think it's very hard to get that credibility back. A report yesterday from CNBC revealing the existence of a secretive tech firm founded by Mike Bloomberg to aid his presidential run. The firm, called Hawkfish, will be the, quote, primary digital agency and technology service provider for the Bloomberg campaign. According to a spokesman, Charles Dewey is here, contributor at The New Yorker, Ed Lee, reporter from The New York Times and CNBC contributor as well. What do we know about this agency and what they're doing? Do you know? Well, he's, hi- he's hiring. You're a former this- Bloomberg man, we should say. I am a former Bloomberg man, so I, I Full know. disclosure. What do you know? That, Tell well, us. Well, I don't have any ties to the company anymore, so, but it's, it's. What do you know? Well, I don't know more specifically about this firm, but he's always been good at figuring out ways to, you know what? I need to get the talent in. Bring them in, and then we'll figure out, we'll solve whatever the problem is. You call it, give it a name, or you give it some kind of a incorporation. I mean, I don't, ultimately, that's less I mean, he built a data important. company. Right. He built, built the most profitable company. data company right. in the world, and, and so it's a natural Maybe fit. the it's most profitable fit. company in the world. That's yes. like, and he did it himself. He didn't, he didn't buy other companies. He did exactly what he's he doing here. Right. The most important thing. He had guys like Ed and myself, who I was there 13 years. I was there 13 years. I worked for 13 years. But you didn't build the data. The most important thing that we know is that I called a contact of mine at the RNC who oversees digital, and he said this is the first time that they've actually been worried. 
right? This is the first time that someone's come in who has the, the agility and the ability and the money to build a data operation that can challenge what the RNC used to get Trump elect, elected four years ago. Right. And it has them terrified. A little bit terrified. Not too terrified. terrified but but enough terrified that they're paying it's, it's, terrified is, is, is up. Is an arms race always like... What we saw the RNC do after Barack Obama's win was say, oh, you know what, we lost that arms race, now we need to, and so now Bloomberg... It's a very specific kind of arms race, though, because when, if you'll think back to when Trump was elected in 2016, the biggest issue there was that if, for, within the Clinton campaign, you had to get three people to sign off on an ad. And so as a result, they could run 10 to 15 experiments a day online. The Trump folks, because Trump wasn't paying any attention to what was going on, right. they yeah. ran 400 to 500 experiments an hour. And so for the first time, you have someone who has the ability to go out and do that experimentation. It's an arms race, but it's you, an you're experimenting You're saying that the race. advantage here is less bureaucracy. That's Not only it. less bureaucracy, but an attitude, right? Everyone who's in the primaries yeah, right now for same. the Dems, they're in a ground war to pick up primary voters. They're not thinking about digital, and they're not thinking but about the But how general. far ahead is Trump in terms of his digital ground game, if, if that's what it's called, given that you have to build database. I mean, it's not just the advertising itself, it's, it's the database, right? Absolutely, that database is critical, and the only way you get it is by running all these experiments, by going out and vacuuming up all the data that you can't buy from data brokers. He has a huge advantage, because first of all, they did this four years ago, and second of all, they've spent the last three years, the White right. House might be a mess, the RNC is not. Also, it keeps changing, right? right? What works on Facebook versus Twitter versus right. open Google, and I think getting all those experiments in is, is what's help, helping do that. Trump has been the most successful on Facebook as a politician in terms of reaching the audience or finding the new audience, the new voters that haven't voted before. And I think that's this what is, drove a lot This of is a longer conversation and we're out of time. Do you Already, think there's a goodness. chance, though, that all this digital spending can actually work? Absolutely. Now, what we don't know, we do know that digital spending can win a general election. We don't know if it can win a, win a primary. primary right. And for the first time, because Super Tuesday is one-third of the American voters are going to be voting on Super Tuesday. Okay. Bloomberg could prove something. We're over time. Charles, Ed, Merry Christmas. Thank you, guys. And check out the story on CNBC.com. In the spirit of giving, I have a column in today's New York Times about charity. And I wanted to talk about charity. Uh, I actually gave a, a sort of adapted version of this column as a speech at the UJA Wall Street dinner a couple weeks ago. We're talking about sadatka, which is a, a, a Hebrew word that traditionally today means charity. But in fact... The real definition of it, many, many, many years ago, was actually something much more profound. It was about righteousness, and it was, uh, it was about justice. And the reason I mention this is so many people are so generous during this season and give so much money away to food banks and all sorts of other uh, great and, and, and needing organizations. Um, and by the way, the UJA gives a lot of money to food banks. But one of the things that I went to look at, and I didn't realize this, was who actually goes to food banks today, who goes to homeless shelters, 43% of working Americans, people with full-time jobs, end up spending time at food banks. 25% of the people in homeless shelters are full-time employees who are actually working. And so one of the things I'm hoping that we can think about when we think about giving is to actually think about what it means to have a living wage in America today. Um, in New York City today, if you make less than $32,402 is the poverty uh, uh, poverty level. That's the threshold for poverty. So you'll be going, if you're making basically less than $18 an hour in New York, which is higher than the minimum wage in this state and much higher than the minimum wage across the country, you're eligible to go to those food banks. So if you're giving money to charity, as fabulous as that is, if you're a business leader or frankly if you're an employee and you have any influence in your company, I would argue to you the real charity is trying to figure out how to change that equation.
So that's my, that's my column for the day, and I hope uh, if you have a chance to read it, you go do that. We will. Happy holidays. Coming up, cybersecurity is just the beginning for one of 2019's hottest new public companies. We've created a platform that spans beyond just security into IT hygiene, so the health of the system. The CrowdStrike CEO on his evolving company and his evolving industry. And later, the advertising mistake that led to a high-tech holiday tradition. As Santa follows the Nanjing road toward his next destination, NORAD will continue to track his journey around the world. Squawk Pod will be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. On this, the last full week of the decade, we're taking a look at some of the newest companies on the public markets, the class of 2019. On yesterday's podcast, we covered Slack, the internal messaging platform that direct listed on the New York Stock Exchange in June of this year. Today, we're bringing you the story of CrowdStrike. The cybersecurity company broke into the marketplace the same month as Slack, but used a different and more traditional mode of entry, the initial public offering. You might have heard of CrowdStrike before for an unrelated reason. The company is the subject of a theory alluded to by President Trump that hits all the political buzzwords. Hillary Clinton's campaign emails, Ukraine, the Democratic National Committee. But here on Squawk Pod, we are focused on CrowdStrike's business. CrowdStrike reported its third quarter financial earnings earlier in December after its stock had an impressive run post-IPO. Now the share price has pulled back to earth a bit, like other software companies' performance in the second half of the year. CrowdStrike CEO George Kurtz joined our anchors earlier this month, the morning after that Q3 report. The voices you'll hear next, George Kurtz, of course, plus our own Joe Kernan and Becky Quick, and guest host Jason Trenard from Strategus. Becky gets the conversation started. CrowdStrike posting impressive quarterly numbers last night, beating on both lines, and that stock is actually up this morning. It's also well above its IPO price from early June. But if you've been looking at it over that course of time, it has pulled back to earth a little bit just over the last three months, watching what's been happening with that. This morning, though, CrowdStrike indicated up by about 6%. George Kurtz is the CEO and the co-founder of CrowdStrike. And George, thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. All right. The street liked what it heard. The loss was narrower than had been expected. Probably importantly, the revenue was above expectations, too. I think it came in at $125 million versus the $118 million that the street had been anticipating. So what are you seeing out there? What, what do you think is happening in terms of new customers you might be able to pull in? Well, we were extremely proud with the quarter that we posted, uh, over half a billion dollars in annual recurring revenue. And I think it's a testament to the uh, cloud-based technology that we've built to stop breaches. And that's what customers are looking for. They're looking for outcomes to help them stop these very sophisticated attacks. And we've delivered it in a cloud platform, which hasn't been done before in the security space, really creating the security cloud. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen such rapid growth, because we're solving a really hard problem at scale. 
you know, uh, the stock has had uh, some, some good success since the IPO. But if you're watching your stock or any of the stocks in this arena over the last several months, there's been a bit of a pullback because, the, you know, the view of the street has been, OK, you really need cybersecurity companies. But how do you distinguish between the cybersecurity companies? How do you make sure that they maintain their edge and that they are always staying ahead of where the cyber criminals are? What's your answer to that? Well, a big part of what we do is we crowdsource this, uh, this technical data that comes off of these endpoints or workloads, these computers. And we use AI to be able to predict whether something is malicious or not. But more importantly, we've created a platform that spans beyond just security into IT hygiene, so the health of the system. And I think given the modules that we've created, and part of our success is how we sell these modules uh, across an enterprise, we've become very strategic. And I look at us as a company that's akin to a Salesforce or a Workday or ServiceNow and creating really a cloud platform, which we call the security cloud. So uh, we think of ourselves as, uh, you know, beyond just a, a traditional endpoint security company, but fundamentally a cloud uh, pillar uh, in the future. George, uh, Jason Kenner here. I, I was wondering what you think about the, uh, the lockup uh, that's about to expire in a couple of days and how that's going to impact the stock. Do you think that's had something to do with uh, some of the re recent weakness over the last couple of months in the stock? Well, as most companies have a six-month lockup, which is traditional, uh, ours is, is coming up next week. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, there's traders that trade around that. And, uh, you know, I, I can't predict what's going to happen. But I think what's most important is, uh, is continuing to deliver value for our customers and uh, continuing to uh, focus on uh, revenue growth. And, and uh, one of the bright spots that we talked about in the last earnings uh, call was really a free cash flow, uh, $7 million, which was way ahead of schedule. Uh, so some great data points for us. And, um, you know, we continue to be heads down providing value for customers. Hey, George, um, very broadly, I think your, your lockup expiration expires. Is it this coming Monday? Yes. What, what does that mean? Will you be selling shares? Well, as you might expect, I'm part of uh, the management team, and we have what's called a 10B5-1 program, which is uh, you know, part of uh, uh, something that the SEC has, which basically programmatically allows you to sell. So um, there's a very small portion of my holdings that's part of that program that could prog programmatically sell, but it's really more for diversification. Uh, it's not a reflection of my view of the company. I'm extremely bullish on the outlook of the company and excited uh, in the numbers that we just posted. CEOs love that uh, that provision, don't they, George? It's like they all have the same answer every every time. Yeah, it's, that's it's like a default. It's fun. it's beautiful. Whoever came up with that, uh, I don't know who invented it, but this goes all the way back to when it mattered. Uh, if people were remember, Jason, yes. it's like they, oh that. Well, you know, I don't really. Uh, you never really have to say anything. It's like oh no, it's really just sort of one of those. Uh, but it's just a small percentage of what you own, and you're not going to sell any of the other stuff in this case. Well, it's a small percentage, yeah. I mean, if it happens right. to sell, it sells. But, right. again, that's going to be out but of my you know hands. But you don't plan to, of the to exit any of the, the large. I think that, that would be more. Oh, absolutely not. Okay. No, this okay. is a very small portion uh, just for diversification. I've been out this eight years. So, um, you know, again, uh, we're, we're, we're focused really on building the value for the company. And uh, that's where my head's at. I called you Kurtz. I love the name Kurtz. Don't you like Kurtz from Brando? I mean, don't you? And, hey, everybody and, called me that. They, they yeah. do, right? <laughs> Kurt. Yes, they do. Yeah. Kurt, I knew that. See, I'm not, uh, I'm not crazy. No, you're not. <laughs> he was. It was. <laughs> he was. Um, you're not crazy on this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's George, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kurt. Hello, Nora Trexana. This is Stacy. How can I help you? Next on Squawk Pod, North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, 
and the hard work of the Santa Tracker. You should be in Texas very soon, so you better hurry up and get to bed. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. You're listening to Squawk Pod. This is Lieutenant Colonel Front of the North American Aerospace Defense Command with breaking news on Santa's annual Yuletide flight. NORAD satellites are currently tracking Santa over New Zealand. Did you know For more than 60 years, NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, has used its military expertise to ensure that Santa Claus travels safely. This unique tradition began in 1955 when a local Sears store in Colorado Springs ran a promotion for a Santa hotline. The phone number in that ad was misprinted, and the kids who called reached a U.S. Air Force colonel at what was known at the time as the Continental Air Defense Command Center. Legend has it that the phone that rang was literally a red phone on the desk that was supposed to be for calls from the Pentagon. Now, the colonel couldn't very well connect callers to the North Pole, but he did some quick thinking and offered to use radar technology to track Santa's flight path around the world. And ever since, the military command charged with protecting all of North American airspace has used infrared sensors to follow Rudolph's glowing nose and Santa's progress on Christmas Eve. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin, Brian Sullivan, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, and Tom Farley. On this Christmas Eve, uh, it's also the first uh, trading session of the Santa Claus rally period that happens on the final five trading days of the year and the first two trading days of the new year. The S&P 500 has posted a 1.3% gain on average since 1950 during the Santa Claus rally period. And we want to uh, get a little help tracking Santa Claus this morning from the North American Aerospace Defense Command, known as NORAD. Joining us right now is Lieutenant General Christopher Coates, a NORAD deputy commander this year, marking NORAD's 64th year of tracking Santa's flight. General Coates, thank you so very much for joining us this morning. Um, We do have children who watch this program, so they're going to want to know where Santa is at this very moment. Hey, good morning. Yeah, we're using uh, all our sensors, and we last uh, saw Santa leaving uh, eastern Russia, and he appears to be heading south, perhaps down towards, I don't know, maybe Wake Island, and that would sort of put him on a good trajectory for, uh, for Australia. We really never know where he's going, but we use those sensors that we use to protect North America every day uh, to have a good look at, at where Santa's going. That's where we, that's where we lost, last saw him, and that's where we think he's headed. Do you know if Google uses your data? Because my children try to track Santa especially tonight, using Google. And we just want to know if their information and data is as good as yours. 
Well, we understand that there are others that also track Santa, but NORAD's been doing it for the, for the longest. Uh, we're pretty confident in the data we receive. Um, and, and like I say, we can't, uh, we can't talk about what other people's data might show, but we're, we're pretty happy with where we've, uh, where we've been able to track Santa. Final question, because my kids want to, do you have his phone number? Because they've asked me that. Sure, absolutely. You can get a hold of us at least at one eight seven seven high norad but I don't know if you can get a hold of Santa directly. Okay, well, maybe have to call you uh, offline and try I have to figure so it out. so many more questions. There's a hundred questions to ask. We've got to make a longer yeah. segment out of this. General Coates, thank you so very much. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you all. They use Rudolph's nose, right? That's the way they can track him? Is that the... I don't, I don't know I if it's so. a GPS situation. Also, Santa's hustling. I just want you to know, he's moving around very Very quickly. It's impressive. We've had that conversation with our kids a lot about just how fast he's got to move at every home to make this all happen. We also have a big question in our household about whether he gets a discount or some kind of sales treatment with certain big companies in terms of manufacturing the goods. Right, because he buys in such volume. Well, the question is, is, are the elves making it? Or in some kind of private label, white label right. branding system, and then Question. putting the brand on. We've had all of these questions being asked in the Sorkin house. Actually, if you watch Elf, it's that, it's pretty clear. It's it's clear how yeah, it's done. Is that the Elf with Will Ferrell? Or yeah. not the Hermie the Elf, where he wanted to be a dentist? No, no, no. the other the other the classic Elf. Okay, because that would the Heat Will Miser Ferrell. or Burger Meister. I want to I want to know our household. Yeah. We want to know how does he get in our? We don't have a chimney. Ring right. ring doorbell. That's the show for today, this Christmas Eve and third night of Hanukkah. Tomorrow is Christmas Day, but we'll be here. While you're relaxing with some eggnog, swing by Squawk Pod, wherever you listen. Becky Quick's candid interview with philanthropist, author, and computer scientist Melinda Gates. Empowerment, economic freedom, and marital compromise, all on tomorrow's episode. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.